record labor market data, St. Louis Fed President James Buller continues his hawkish commentary. We cover the biggest analyst calls of the day. So if I drops on the extension of the student loan payment moratorium and what in the world are the Bitcoin billionaires saying at Bitcoin 2022? This is the Running With The Money Briefing. Let's get into it. up and welcome to another episode of the Running With The Money Briefing powered by Pounding The Table. I'm your host, Luke Donay, and the real question you're probably asking right now is what in the world went on in the markets today? Well, let's get right into it. So the Dow Jones rebounding the day up 87 points at the close, NASDAQ closing up eight, and the S&P 500 closing up 19 points. Now, if we go group by group, sector by sector, what did we see? Well, we saw healthcare, energy, consumer defensive, and basic materials all in the green moving to the upside. Meanwhile, real estate, communication services, and financials, the top three worst performers on the day. And if you're wondering about technology, that inched out again up 0.1%. Now, shifting into the top headlines of the day, we led the day with some key labor market data that we get every single Thursday. So initial filings for unemployment dropping to 166,000. Now that was below the Dow Jones estimate of 200,000 and it was also 5,000 below the previous week's total. Now it is important to note that last week's total was the lowest number we had seen since November of 1968. Yes, you heard that correctly. Now, if you're wondering about continuing claims, continuing claims, by the way, these run one week behind the headline number, but those totaled 1.52 million per the latest report. Now, shifting into the total of those receiving benefits under all programs in total, that number actually declined to 1.72 million. So that was pretty darn solid. And that number of 1.72 million, the total receiving benefits, is coming off of a number of 18.4 million a year ago. So a pretty darn sizable improvement year over year. Now, shifting into what the department noted when it came to reporting these claims, they did revise claims from 2017 to 2021. Now, why did they do this? Well, according to the department, they did indeed change these numbers, adjusting their calculations for seasonal factors. So that is something to note. They're revising some of these calculations. Now, shifting into an interesting labor market data point that I did indeed want to cover, we saw uh, per this data that the labor market is extremely tight. In fact, if you take a look at the severe shortage of workers we have, there are roughly 5 million more employment openings than there actually are available workers, which definitely isn't a net positive if you're in a labor market that needs workers. Now, shifting into hiring. If we take a look at hiring, that actually remained brisk according to CNBC. In fact, non-farm payrolls did indeed move to the upside by nearly 1.7 million in the first quarter of 2022. Now, shifting away from the labor market is St. Louis Fed President James Bullard saying that the Fed is, quote, behind the curve on interest rates, but it's making progress. Now, he also said that if the central bank continues to follow their rules-based approach, it's just that the central bank should indeed hike their benchmark short-term borrowing rate to about 3.5%. And the market did not like that this morning. But shifting into some of his more direct commentary, he went on to say 
in a speech at the University of Missouri, quote, if you take account of board guidance, we don't look so bad. Not all hope is lost. That is the basic gist of the story. You're still behind the curve, but not as much as it looks like. Now, then he shifted into the topic of inflation, and he actually gave a brief history of the Federal Reserve and inflation. And this is his interesting uh, part of the speech, I would say, probably the most interesting. He says, quote, U.S. inflation is exceptionally high, and that doesn't mean 2.1% or 2.2% or something. This means comparable to what we saw in the high inflation era in the 1970s and early 1980s. Even if you're very generous to the Fed in interpreting what the inflation rate really is today, you'd have to raise the policy rate a lot. The difference between today and the 1970s is central bankers have a lot more credibility. In the 1970s, no one believed the Fed would do anything about inflation. It was kind of a chaotic era. You really needed former Fed Chair Paul Volcker to come in. He slayed the inflation dragon and established credibility. After that, people believed the central bank would bring inflation under control. So, James Bullard, continuing his hawkish comments on the market, he believes those interest rates still need to move further to the upside, and he is definitely not liking what he sees on the inflation horizon. And once again, this comes just after those Fed minutes that we got yesterday, where the comments were pretty darn hawkish. And if you want more details on really the nitty-gritty when it comes to what the Fed is thinking and what we got from those Fed minutes yesterday, go check out yesterday's briefing where we covered it all in much more detail. Now, shifting into our biggest analyst calls, we had Wells Fargo downgrading Wayfair to underweight from equal weight. The firm went on to say, quote, to that end, we are lowering our rating on Wayfair from equal weight to underweight as we see waning demand visibility, optimistic consensus estimates, and a host of competitive demographic and positioning-driven challenges. So, Wells Fargo sees some challenges ahead for Wayfair, and therefore, they are moving the name to underweight from equal weight. We also had Gunningham initiating Teladoc as a buy. The firm went on to say, quote, we think healthcare access is moving more towards digital interactions and Teladoc's broad suite of services addresses more touch points than any other provider in our view. An interesting call out of Gunningham initiating Teladoc as a buy. We also had Goldman Sachs reiterating Costco as a buy. The firm went on to say, quote, Costco reported in March SSS X gas and FX of plus 12.2%, including 1.5%, the 2% benefit from an incremental day year to year accelerating from plus 10.6% in February, while inflation remained relatively consistent month to month and better than consensus at plus 9.3%. So, Goldman, liking what they see in the numbers for Costco, reiterating the name as a buy, and boy, has that stock been on fire lately. We also had JMP reiterating Robinhood and Coinbase as markets outperform today. The firm on the say, quote, for some of the harder hit fintech and digital asset names like Robinhood and Coinbase, we have detailed our thesis at length. But we see some of the most material long-term upside in our coverage at this point in these stocks. So it seems JMP believes Robinhood and Coinbase have been beaten down far too far and therefore they believe they see the most upside they have ever seen in their thesis when it comes to these names for the long 
term. Now, shifting into JP Morgan, reiterating Netflix as overweight. The firm went on to say, quote, heading into earnings on April 19th, Netflix is a frequent topic in our discussions with investors. Shares remain controversial and sentiment skews negative. JP Morgan reiterating Netflix as overweight, liking the name in the earnings on April 19th. We also had Evercore ISI reiterating HP as outperformed the firm and the say, quote, fundamentally, we do not expect material changes to HPQ's business from Berkshire entering its HPQ position. Though, we view Berkshire's ownership as a validation of HP's strategy capital return program. Notably, Berkshire began acquiring shares following HPQ's announced $3.3 billion offer to acquire Poly on 328. So, Evercore, ISI, reiterating HP as outperform, citing Berkshire entering the name when it comes to ownership. We also had City initiating Roblox as a buy today. The firm went on to say, quote, Roblox is a unique two-sided gaming platform with positive free cash flow and a relatively lean capital structure. And after a sharp reduction in street estimates, we think consensus estimates are now reasonable. While the firm's valuation is above many peers, we believe this is justified given the firm's strategic position, rapid growth, and healthy pipeline of product enhancements. City initiating Roblox as a buy, liking the name. We also had Oppenheimer reiterating Tesla as outperformed today. The firm went on to say, quote, first, we are looking for indicators of progress on its manufacturing capacity expansion. Second, we expect geographic and feature mix along with the ability to pass higher supply chain cost on the customers to drive margins. And third, we believe upside in shares from here is rooted in progress related to its autonomy program along with continued leadership in EV. So, a big time call out of Oppenheimer reiterating Tesla is outperform. And then our final analyst call of the day was out of Piper Sandler upgrading accidental petroleum to overweight from neutral. The firm went on to say, quote, despite performance to date, we believe we are still very early in a multi-year cycle and remain constructive to the sector. And while everything looks attractive in absolute terms at the current deck, we shuffle our preferences to reflect current realities. Upgrade Oxy to overweight, downgrade TTE to neutral. A solid call out of Piper Sandler upgrading Occidental Petroleum to overweight from neutral. Now, shifting away from our biggest analyst calls of the day, I want to talk about SoFi dropping at 1.10% as the Biden administration did indeed extend the student loan payment moratorium to August 31st. And therefore, this affects SoFi's business. So we also had SoFi on this news lowering their full year 2022 adjusted net revenue and adjusted EBITDA guidance numbers to $1.47 billion and $100 million respectively. Now, you put this in comparison to their previous guidance of $1.57 billion for that adjusted net revenue on the year and $180 million for that adjusted EBITDA. And comparing those two, what you see is that, so really it's nothing crazy. What we're talking here is about $0.10 billion cut off the top when it comes to their adjusted net revenue expectations for the full year of 2022 and $80 million out of that EBITDA guidance for the year. But it is important to note that 
when you take a look at their original guidance for their first quarter, that original guidance of $285 million in adjusted net revenue and zero to $5 million in adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter, that remained the same. So they did not change first quarter guidance. Now, getting into some slight details on this, SoFi receives quite a bit of business from actually student loan refinancing, and then they upsell those customers with other basically financial services. But shifting into that particular sector, the company is saying that SoFi's student loan refinancing business has actually been operating at less than 50% of pre-COVID levels for the past two years. And you take a look at what the company said about this moratorium, and they said, quote, management now expects that a number of factors, including the impending fall midterm elections, will precipitate a likely seventh extension beyond August 2022 by the administration. Accordingly, management's updated 2022 guidance assumes that the student loan moratorium will not, in fact, end during the course of 2022. So, in essence, this guidance that they are giving us is calculating that this this moratorium is going to go through to the end of the year. They don't even believe that the pushback to August 31st is going to stay given the midterm elections, and they believe that this moratorium is going to be pushed back again. So, that downgraded guidance you are seeing is calculating an entire year without that moratorium being lifted. So that is something to note. It's also important to note that if you look at SoFi overall, they're still turning out pretty darn solid numbers when it comes to growth, even though one of their key business segments is operating at less than 50% of what it usually does. So maybe something to pay attention to when you see SoFi moving to the downside, some people and some investors out there are saying this is a big opportunity to get into the stock. Now, shifting into Bitcoin 2022, my oh my, the Bitcoin billionaires are coming out like crazy, sounding the alarm on inflation, attacking some legends in the finance world. So let's get right into it. So billionaire Ricardo B. Solanas and Orlando Bravo, both of those billionaires today saying inflation sucks. I mean, they pretty much said it straight, basically sounding the alarm on inflation, according to Bloomberg. In fact, Ricardo B. Solana said, quote, I have a big grudge against fiat. I call it a fiat fraud. He then started to go into the story about his salary when he was a young MBA graduate in Mexico and that salary going in the 1980s from $2,000 to just $20 over the period of six years. And he said that that's hyperinflation. And then it is important to note that Solana's, he he's Mexico's third richest person. Yes, you heard that correctly. So, Ricardo B. Solanas is Mexico's third richest person, and he said that 60% of his liquid portfolio was actually invested in either Bitcoin or Bitcoin equity, which is a big-time jump from the 10% figure that he actually gave us in late 2020. So it's safe to say Ricardo Solanas is definitely confident in Bitcoin. We also had commentary out of Orlando Bravo when it comes to inflation, and he said, quote, you don't have to be an economist to see what's going on with inflation. You can make all kinds of excuses on supply chains and all the geopolitical issues, but when you pump that much money into the economy, you're going to grossly devalue the currency. So both of these Bitcoin billionaires, their nickname, basically sounding the alarm on inflation and arguing that Bitcoin is a great place to put your money in an inflationary environment. And then finally, I'm going to talk about these comments from Mr. Peter Thiel. Yes, that's right. Peter Thiel, the legend billionaire entrepreneur, and he called Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon, and Larry Fink part of a 
finance gerontocracy and said that they oppose the, quote, revolutionary youth movement that is embracing Bitcoin. Now, he didn't stop there. In his keynote speech at Bitcoin 2022, he continued to attack Buffett. He continued to attack these big-time investors and legends in the finance world. In fact, he said, quote, what is it going to take for this to happen? Referencing Bitcoin going to 100,000. And he called Buffett the 91-year-old legendary investor, a psychopathic grandpa. Yes, and he didn't stop there. And then he went on to attack Jamie Dimon and he went on to attack Larry Fink. Now, both of these guys, Fink, he runs BlackRock and Jamie Dimon runs JP Morgan. I mean, these are big-time people and Buffett is one of the most looked-up-to long-term investors of our time. I mean, he is absolutely going after these guys for their hate of Bitcoin. He then went on to accuse those three of actually using investing practices surrounding environmental, social, and governance goals as a, quote, hate factory. And then he rounded out his comments attacking the Federal Reserve, saying, quote, Mr. Powell, people like that should be extremely grateful to Bitcoin because it's the last warning they are going to get. They've chosen to ignore it, and they will have to pay the consequences for that in the years ahead. So Peter Thiel, leaving nothing on the table, attacking Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon, Larry Fink, these massive icons of the financial space, calling them out for their dislike of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in a new, quote, revolutionary youth movement, and then rounding out his comments attacking Mr. Jerome Powell, saying he is ignoring the signs and that the Federal Reserve will indeed pay for it down the road. But this was, once again, another episode of the Running With The Money Briefing. We'll be back tomorrow with actually the weekly recap to cover the biggest moments of the week and the biggest headlines of the day. But in the meantime, go get my boys over at Pounding the Table, my fellow team members, a listen anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also, please go and give me and my team a listen and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Running With The Money or simply listen to us on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts at Running With The Money. Use the profit, trade on, and I will see you tomorrow. 